You are listening to the one of us.net podcast network. One of us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio based or banner ads, but on a case by case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at one of us net at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage one of us.net and sign up for a subscription at two, five, ten, or twenty five dollars and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. And welcome to the latest edition of Digital Noise, now featuring Extra John Golson. Yay, I'm the Retson. The Retson. <laughs> Certs, now with Retson. Warning, studies have shown that some amounts of John Golson may cause cancer in laboratory rats. Does anybody listening remember Certs? <laughs> Nobody remembers Certs. No. I remember Certs. Are they... Do they, they might still exist. I don't Who know. Who looks too closely at the, I don't know that they that manufacture aisle. certs in the United States of America. My grandfather always had certs, always had peppermint certs on him. And certs used to come in peppermint, uh, spearmint, and orange. There was the, the orange cert. <laughs> uh, and he used to always carry certs and he would go to Sam's Club and buy the big boxes that convenience stores would get so that he could always have certs on hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think that it was the disappearance of certs that caused him to die. Good lord. No, I don't. He was old. <laughs> That's not what happened. So. Um, the great certs conspiracy. But, uh, yeah, uh, so nobody remembers certs now? I mean, I remember him. I just was never really a big breath man. I like the, I like the binaca. Yeah. That was what I had the spray. Oh, that, that, all the kids that made you look cool. It did make you look cool. Yeah. I bet you were a hot toothpick guy as well. <laughs> <laughs> kind of was but i was also too nerdy for that to really oh, help you weren't, me. A, you weren't so, a hot toothpick kid the hot toothpick kids right they're like it's like a step below smoking they were yeah. always kind of like the the bullies and like the badasses would be like the hot toothpick kids <laughs> i've never heard it phrased quite that way i was definitely not a bully uh i didn't get bullied that much either because i had lots of friends in different groups plus i my siblings were just barely older than yeah. me so they would like like, I remember when I went to high school, my sister had just graduated, but her boyfriend was still in school, and he was the quarterback for the football team. So, guess what? No, everybody left me alone. <laughs> uh, I don't know that, I don't know what Retson was. I, I think have it no was, idea. They represent it in the commercials by the fact that the mint had flecks of flavor. So, no. if it was, a, if it was the peppermint one, it had little blue specks. Yeah. That's still pretty common and with like, that was called Retson, and it would say like, with Retson. The commercial would like point to those Flex. As if That's they were the Retson. The difference. <laughs> this is why this is the so best. But I am the Retson like, of digital. Like we buy like icebreakers is probably the closest thing okay. to that that we get now, mm-hmm. you know, because they're like, oh, okay, I kind of like, I kind of like the way these taste, but they're like also have the little things, but they are not like, it's Retson. <laughs> I was, a, when I was a kid, I liked the, uh, I liked the orange Tic Tacs. And <laughs> those I li- are still around. Yeah. Those are still around. And I liked, there was a, there was a rolled mint, uh, called breath savers oh i remember breath, and breath savers. savers had the weird divot in the middle that was like blue so it was like 
It was like a lifesaver if someone had filled in the middle. <laughs> this is the change from digital noise to a new show where we just talk about discontinued items. Welcome that to Making a Mint with some, Chris and John. That for some reason, we miss. <laughs> Do you hate that when you're on Facebook and somebody has an image of something that you literally have, like, you had safely thought was clear your brain out of forever. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen since you were six. And you, suddenly you're like... Why am I spending time thinking about this thing now? Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's a toy, which I, I don't get terribly nostalgic for old oh. toys. I know a lot of people do. You strike me as someone who does. Get, get nostalgic <laughs> for toys? Yeah, for old toys. I, I If I get nostalgic for an old toy, I purchase it so that the nostalgia ends. Now, the one thing that I can't go back food-wise, because we were talking about mints, which I guess is a form of food... Yes. Although I don't know how long you could survive on them. That would make a really good, like, supersize me type film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let him try it. Go ahead, Morgan, uh, Fre- or Morgan Freeman. Morgan, whatever your name is. Jack in the Box used to have this sandwich called the Hot Ham and Cheese. Okay. It was like sliced ham and Swiss and horseradish on a poppy seed, like, Kaiser bun. Okay. I loved those as a kid. <laughs> and there's not anything like them that exists now. Okay. Uh, and so, Jack in the Box, if you're listening... Could bring that back. Please bring back the hot ham and cheese. Yeah, Jack in the Box was in our... I don't remember Jack in the Box in our area when I was a kid. I don't think they had them in Virginia when I was growing up, but we did have Roy Rogers restaurants. Oh. And those things kicked ass. Yeah. Roy Rogers is like... Everyone kind of agreed. This is like a little bit better than a regular than fast we'll, food. We'll get but. to the movies. We'll get to the movies, huh? I promise. But I, when I was a kid, my grandparents got me a subscription to consumer reports what for kids for kids like it was the consumer reports magazine that adults would get but yeah. it was consumer reports for kids that's hysterical and they would always do the fast food ranking issue where it would be like <laughs> who has the best french fries who has the best hamburger and roy rogers and hardy's because there weren't any hardy's here in texas mm. were fascinating to me because they always showed up on those lists and i was like what is roy rogers <laughs> What is a Hardee's? What is that? Well, we had Hardee's. How come I don't get to try but, the low-rated burger from Hardee's? So apparently Hardee's depend entirely on what state you're in on yep. how good it is. Because in Virginia, Hardee's were considered by far the most ghetto, the most terrible yeah. fast food restaurant. Well, when they but combined with like, Carl's Jr. Corporation, I think they they unified their menu, and it's okay. all pretty good. I've had Hardee's. There's a Hardee's in Cedar Park, and I've had Hardee's now. Okay. It's basically like a fresher-tasting Burger King. Well... These days. That's a pretty low bar, if you ask me. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't eat a lot of fast food outside of Taco Bell, and I'm surprised this podcast isn't sponsored by Taco Bell. Did they you try make... their new burrito tacos that they don't call burrito tacos? What? They have a imitation burrito yeah, tacos? Yeah, they call them something like grilled cheese shredded beefers or something like that. Like they okay. have a name that's like the I've most... I've never had a real It's like burrito. the most gringo name. Right. But it's it's supposed to be like a burrito taco. Burrito I've never taco had man. a real burrito. I oh need to. God, I need to. I so know. freaking good. I know. There's apparently like a food truck, I think, on Burnett that's supposed to be like the place to go. Anyway, we're like, this is way off topic here. Uh, well, maybe we should start a like junky stuff we like to eat side yeah, we, show. We, we shouldn't begin the show when John hasn't eaten. That's, yeah, I think, what same. we're discovering today. I'm like, you know, it'd be good right now. A cheesecake with melted peanut butter poured over. <laughs> Some anyway. breath savers. Some with some breath savers. A breath saver crust on a cheesecake just Ooh. crushed. Breath. Oh my god! <laughs> Covered in burrito taco okay. dipping sauce. Suddenly, <laughs> I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> breath saver tacos. Anyway, uh, we are here to talk about movies, and we have a lot to talk about, so we should get into it. And we're going to start off with 
another re-release because multiple people have had rights to this, including like the, the primary studio. So it's been re-released a lot, re-released a lot in the last 10 years, which is Waterworld. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those like, like they don't have to convince me. I'm one of the guys who's like, Hey man, I kind of like Waterworld. I yeah. don't know what to tell you. Uh, but a lot of people still just assume from that original thing where it was like one of the most over budget movies ever and people condemned it before it even came out that it's a terrible movie. Oh yeah, such it's, a reputation. It's corny. I actually saw some social media responses when this release hit. Okay. That people were seeing it for the first time and going like, why hadn't I watched this before? Why did I? Cause it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's basically this world, but like 25 years from now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Where all the polar ice caps have flooded, more like have melted. Ten. More like ten. <laughs> and the most of the Earth, if not as far as these characters know, all the Earth is just completely covered with water. And somehow they continue to sort of exist in a very road warrior if it was on the water instead of in a desert. I say sort of fashion. No, let's pretty much say exactly a fashion. Like, like dead on road warrior <laughs> on water. Um, and you've got the one guy, the Mad Max type character, but, uh, Kevin Costner, who is a loner. He goes from place to place trading. And the reason he can kind of survive on his own is because he's evolved gills, which wouldn't happen, <laughs> but doesn't matter. It's that's, a, but that's, a, that, wait, you're saying that doesn't happen, but that's the way I heard evolution works. Yeah. The it's one not. time <laughs> there was this animal that looked kind of like a horse and he wanted to eat the leaf on the tallest tree. And then that begat another animal whose neck was a little longer and a sure. little longer until suddenly there was a giraffe. No, it's true. And then true. they could all eat the leaf at the top of the tree. Everything's true now, about that. I don't know that. why they didn't just eat the grass. I don't know. <laughs> Everything, I, everything's true about that except the word suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this took place a million, two if we million years. giraffe rules, it's totally natural that Kevin Costner would grow uh, webbed feet and hands and gills if to this, be able to survive. If this happened a million, a two million world. years after the flood, then sure. Mm-hmm. But it clearly does not. <laughs> well, there's another thing that would have to happen. So, for instance, this if I use the giraffe analogy, which is, I'm sure, horrifically scientifically inaccurate. Yeah. But if I use the giraffe analogy, let's say that it was... They wanted to eat the, the most tender leaves, and they couldn't reach them with their neck, and giraffes bred until they had long necks long enough to reach these tender leaves at the top. Well, in order for you to get web feet and gills, you would have to live life in the water. Mm-hmm. No one is living life in the water in Waterworld. Yes, that's very so accurate. So there's not... There's I'm not living on top of the water. Generations of people born just floundering around like treading water. Well, they all have homes. The funny thing is, like, it's clear that this is maybe tops 100, 200 years after this happened, but somehow giant leviathans, like shark leviathans, have evolved in the sea. I'm like, okay. But crazily, those grew arms and legs. No, I'm just kidding. They, they don't. Anyway, Costner ends up, who wants to be nothing but to be left alone, just occasionally come across places like with groups of human survivors and, and, and trade for stuff. Uh, he wants nothing more than to be left alone, but he ends up in a situation because of bad guys roving around the water. The smokers led by Dennis Hopper, who is chewing all the scenery he can find to chew. Uh, he ends up stuck with basically a, a little girl and, uh, and, um, you know, attractive, uh, <laughs> attractive woman. Jeannie Triplehorn. Yeah. Jean Triplehorn. And one of the few roles she's played, they've, I've seen that they really played up her sexuality. Wait, she usually- wait, what? Cause she was like queen of the, 90s erotic what thrill she's in she disclosure. was she's in 
She's in so many of those I movies. I, I think I just didn't watch there's most of those movies. There's two different movies I saw in the 90s where she literally gets the panties ripped off of her body. Wow. Uh, See, so I never found her wildly attractive. This, that was her, like, thing in the 90s. I mean, she's all right. She was never the seductress. She was always the, oh, the wife or girlfriend of the uh, person who was being But she still got fucked. Seduced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then multiple senses of the word, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway... So there, he's stuck with them and doesn't want, he's not kind of stuck. He's like, like, you look, we should throw the little girl overboard because it's really what good is she. But of course, there's something about the myth, the mythical quest for dry land, which even he doesn't believe really exists. And, uh, you know, they, and the bad guys are also after the little girl because they, she's got something tattooed on her back, which is supposed to be a guide point to said dry land. And yeah. Um, it's corny. It's a road warrior ripoff. And yet it completely works. I have nothing but really positive things to generally to say about this film. I've seen it probably seven or eight times in my life. Uh, I definitely rewatched this new, new 4K edition from Arrow because why not? The last time I watched it was when they put it out on Blu-ray about got a year and a half ago or something. And it, I watched that really extended director's cut of this, which is really the best version. This huh. is one I, I say firmly. That's the best version oh, to watch. I've never seen the longer one. Uh, however, this one, the only version that's in 4K is the theatrical cut. So I watched that one this time. It does come with the two other cuts of the film that existing, one of which being that one uh, on Blu-ray. And they look great anyway. This isn't one of those ones on 4K where I was impressed enough with the transfer yeah. that I went, oh, you've got to watch it I like agree. this. Uh, but yeah, there's the, the theatrical cut, the extended TV cut, and the Ulysses cut. Um, yeah, it's, I, I feel like, like we started with, there's a lot of just bad, sort of bad press that still exists about this one. People have the general idea this is considered to be a bad movie and it's really not. It's like I said, it's corny, but it's, it's a product of its time in many ways, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. And Costner says very little, which helps. Yeah. (laughs) He just kind of stares in the camera. I had seen this before. I, I well, I saw Mad Max and Road Warrior as a child, uh, when like as a double feature at the drive-in, mm-hmm. and so really I'd seen this before the Mad Max and Road Warrior films, and they can't. It doesn't hold a candle in regards to the way that the action is directed. There's a reason. It's kind of funny because retroactively, like the Waterworld stunt show ran at the theme parks for years and years and years and years. And watching the movie now, it's like, oh, of course it did because there's so much of the action is like a stunt spectacular where it's like guys on uh uh skidoos like going off of ramps and yeah. running into walls and stuff like that it's like <laughs> and like guys getting punched into the water there's it's very stunt show spectacular so it doesn't oh, have yeah. the it doesn't have the precision of George Miller's action scenes in the Mad Max movies no um but it's but it's still got good action for like a 90s action movie it's got a colorful villain um it's it's highly enjoyable. I liked it when it came out in theaters. Saw it a couple times back then. I revisit it every few years. I like Tina Majorino in it as a little girl, too. I think she's really good in it. Who grew up to be a professional actress. She yeah. made the transfer without, you know, going down a bad rabbit hole or saying, fuck this. Yeah. She's still, you see her in stuff, um, I wouldn't say often, often, but she still pops up in stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like this. In? And I agree with you about the transfer. I think the transfer is fine. It's not a... Yeah. If you already own the blue, it's not to dissuade you from owning the 4K, because, I mean, it's going to be better, but it's going to be marginally better. It's not going to be a revelation. Plus, it's got Michael Jeter 
And I know it's always nice to see him. Uh, Kim Coates plays a small role in here. Jack Black is unrecognizable, but he was in this movie as a pilot of one of the planes in here. This is filled with like, like almost everyone in this. I'm like, you've seen him on, as seen on shows like Sons of Anarchy. You know, it's just a bunch of rough looking dudes, but all which like kept working. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I liked it a lot. Um, I always enjoy rewatching it. Uh, this is, comes with a chipboard, comes in a chipboard box because it's got a lot of stuff. It's got six collector's postcards, a double-sided fold-out poster, and a limited edition 60-page book featuring essays by various critics and some archival pictures and writing and a reversible sleeve, uh, that with obviously the original art and then newly commissioned artwork by Paul Shipper. Uh, it, it has three discs. The first, um, the first one is got the, the 4K and then you've got the, and a few extra features here. Uh, there is a feature length documentary about the making of Waterworld. It's an hour and 42 minutes. I have watched it before. I did not watch it this time. Um, is it worth, do you remember if it's warts and all? Cause I know that Kevin Reynolds and Kevin Costner are, they are friends who become enemies when they work together. Right. And they, they keep going, we should work together again. Cause enough time passes and then they freaking hate each other again. <laughs> and they've done that over and over throughout their lives. It has a certain amount of like, Here's what went wrong, but I mean, you know, I, I don't, it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. I, I remember going like, okay, this isn't just a gloss piece, but at the same time, I kind of wish it went into the more darker side of why this failed. Yeah. You know, I didn't feel like it did. Uh, yeah. And then there's a thing with, um, uh, 22 minutes with, uh, Glenn Kenny analyzing apocalypse, apocalypse films, hmm. which is interesting. I feel like you could do easily a lot longer than 22 minutes on that topic. There's a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lots of image galleries, trailers, but yeah. Uh, the, for the record, the TV cut and the Ulysses cut come out to about two hours and 57 minutes-ish, whereas the theatrical version is two hours and 15, but it's a really fast-moving two hours and 15. It kind of flies by. Everyone always talks, oh, it was so long. It's really not not by today's or standards. Or does it swim by? Oh, God, John. What are you turning, turning into right all of a sudden? <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about one of my favorite horror discoveries here in the last couple of years because it was so random. It was at South by Southwest last year. I got sent uh, a digital copy of it to watch before the festival. They clearly were not expecting this movie Deadstream to have the overwhelming approval that it ended up getting. I mean, it's kind of turned into like a modern horror comedy classic at this point because so many people won't shut up about it. People, because they're just still discovering it going, Oh my God. And this is one of the very rare examples of a, a film that shutter had picked up immediately, but then went, wow, people are watching the shit out of this. Let's put out a steel box. <laughs> and they have some kind of deal at Walmart apparently. Cause the last time this happened, I forgot what the movie was, but it was exclusive to Walmart. Hmm. So the steel box version of this is also exclusive to Walmart. I believe there is a, dvd version you can get that is not at walmart but this blu-ray is in fact straight from there i have reviewed this on infestation this is the first time i've talked about it other than that i believe um it's one of the things like you watch the trailer and you think i am not gonna like this movie i can tell you right now i have middling patience with found amateur found footage movies every once in a while a good one sneaks through but rarely are you like oh this is going in my regular rotation (laughs) but it follows a really obnoxious, and even in the movie, supposed to be obnoxious, uh, content creator who got canceled, and now he's trying to resurrect his career uh, by 
spending the night in a very famously haunted house that's out in the middle of fucking nowhere that people are like no no one no sane person would go out there because multiple people have died there right uh so he's just out there completely by himself his name's sean he's actually played by the director writer uh joseph winner who directed and wrote this with his wife vanessa winner and sure enough the place is haunted <laughs> but by perhaps <laughs> a ghost that is themselves sort of a content creator <laughs> And that, I think, is the key to the heart of this thing, is that connection of the whole, like, oh, this is really having a, oh, it's it's not here to just go, aren't content creators terrible? It's just having fun with the idea of, like, the vanity and everything associated with it. And as well, I think there's an Evil Dead 2-ness about this that just, that I, I've, hundreds of people have tried to recreate and failed, and somehow this film kind of gets it. In a different way, but it kind of gives me that same vibe. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Oh, you don't like Deadstream? I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say poor, scrappy indie horror film directors pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and making a cult <laughs> hit. Who am I to give this movie a black eye? A film critic. Uh, yeah, this is. I it, I did not. Uh, this was not for me. This was not for me. <laughs> I I really didn't like it. Uh, yeah, I I could I I didn't like the lead character. I get you're kind of not, not supposed yeah, to. You're definitely not. But supposed I to. didn't want to watch him. As the longer it went on, the more I didn't want to watch him. Um, I just the the more this proceeded, the less and less I liked it. And by the end was completely checked out. The comedy didn't work for me. Hard didn't work for me. The, the like none of it worked for me. I'm sad to report. I'm uh, sad to hear. Yeah, I think this is a. I think this is straight up a ten out of ten for me. Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, yeah. And a lot of times, like when a lot of times, even when we disagree, it's by margins, or I can or. Or this, like, concession of, like, I can see that. Nah, I just, and I, I knew, like, when you handed, when you talked about the stack, and I was like, you, you had told me, like, oh, I love Deadstream, and I don't think I said anything, and I was thinking, like, man, I, I, should I say it now? <laughs> um, because I, I got the impression when I handed you a stack that you had seen it and you liked it. I just kept my mouth shut. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. It's, <laughs> You know, yeah, just, I think that if I had some measure of, I don't even know, I, I was going to say, like, it's not the intent, though, and I get, I get the intent, like, I understand the intent, it's just, it just bounced, it just bounced, and the longer it went on, the more annoyed by it I, I became, mm. like, it didn't, it did the opposite of win me over, because I sat down excited, like, oh, I've heard this is great. Like, I've heard it's really funny and actually kind of scary, and I can't wait, and tons of friends like it. And it was like, okay. And then it kept going, and, and, and my smile turned into a frown by the end. It was <laughs> it's just so funny, not for me. Because that's the exact opposite way I went into it, because I went into it expecting it not to be good. And I for the first, like, 15 minutes, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty much exactly what I expected. It's trying to be funny, but it's not because the lead character is annoying. But 
I, as it went on, I started liking him more and more. And by the end, I was like, yeah, I loved it. And I totally see that that was all very much intentional to make you not like that character in the, in the beginning. And you still never really like him, but it's the absurdity of the piece that comes out that it becomes like, okay, it's not really important that you like him or don't like him. Yeah. You're enjoying what's happening. Yeah. I think it's, do I like what I'm watching? Yeah. And I did, I didn't. No, that's fair. So not for everyone, yeah. but it's for me. That's for sure. I was excited to get a, uh, a physical copy of this because with streaming anymore, you never know what's going to, how long that's stuff true. is going to stick around. And I'm like, this is one I'm going to revisit and want to loan to people so they can see it other than John Golson. Uh, <laughs> and it's it okay. comes with a new audio commentary with the, the husband wife team who made this with the cinematographer and actress Melanie Stone, uh, who plays the, the villainous character in here. Uh, Monsters and Makeup FX bringing Deadstream to life. About 14 minute, uh, look at the makeup department. On the set for about 12 minutes, fly in the wall type recordings, uh, three and a half minutes of bloopers, day stream, test footage and rehearsals, uh, where the husband and wife team, Vanessa and Joseph, do dry run throughs of key scenes during the day, uh, camera, and which I've never seen that before. That was different. I was like, well, that was a neat, kind of a neat thing to have. Cameras and lighting, look with the cinematographer, uh, sound designing and mixing, uh, with obviously those people. True scary stories from the set, because there's, I don't know, it's probably all set up for the purpose of having bonus features, but they set it up where, well, look, this place is actually supposed to be haunted. And people saying, oh, man, no real scary shit did happen while we were filming this. Like, okay, whatever. I literally have been talking with a coworker friend of mine of starting to uh, starting to write and come up with ghost stories for the place I work. I mean, there are none. Nobody says there's ghosts there. But fuck it, man. It's, <laughs> let's just make oh, one up yeah. and, and, like, have the same story and then just start spreading the tales and see what happens. <laughs> I can tell you what's going to happen. It'll end up on a ghost tour 20 years from now and be like, yeah, I made that shit up. Well, like at, at almost every movie theater I've worked at, there's been nothing but ghost stories. And the last one that the only time that I've ever not legit, but I don't know if you knew that like the Barton Creek cinema Cinemark that used to sit on the side of the hill yeah. next to the mall. Yeah. That it was Which built- was so the weirdest placement for a movie theater. Let's build a movie theater right across the street from the other movie theater. Oh well the mall built theirs later. <laughs> oh I thought so, I thought the malls was first. No. The malls oh. built theirs after this one was up. Okay. Well either way, we're actually decision. if we go if we want to go back, there was a movie theater in the mall parking lot that became that Mexican food restaurant. Oh. That one slid down the hill and cracked in half. What? Then the Cinemark well, I mean, slowly slid and cracked in half and but that brings me to the Cinemark that was built in ninety summer ninety six, I right, think, right where the old Indian burial ground used to be. No, sh- <laughs> no shit. Wait, dude. what? Really? So, so <laughs> they build this Cinemark. I always found that place in so 96, creepy. <laughs> in ninety six, they build this gigantic, brutalist yeah. Cinemark on the outside. It's a huge gray space prison. On the inside, yeah. it's like carnival time, like killer yes. clowns from outer space. Okay, <laughs> and. They built that on the side of a hill, and that cracked in half. It was only open about 10 years. Yeah. and But in the middle of that time period, they built the... It was a general cinema at the mall that became an AMC. That's beside the point. Anyways. <laughs> so, they would talk about that theater being haunted. There was a cemetery from the late 1800s, early 1900s, in the parking lot of that cinemark, surrounded by trees. And I am, I am like, straight up not shitting you. It was there. Like, I've seen it. It exists. And You moved the headstones, but you left the bodies, kids didn't you? Kids would talk about <laughs> phantom people in theaters that they were cleaning. Like, 
being in the theater as they were leaving and turning around and there being like nobody there or right. seeing somebody through the door window in the theater in the auditorium and go to open the door to like clean after the movie and there being nobody in there they used to have seances uh up by one of the projectors that was what? tucked away i think mostly just to creep themselves out right sure and and somebody died in that theater what some it was after a showing of ringmaster the jerry springer movie of all <laughs> oh my things God. there was somebody in there that they couldn't wake up and they were dead and had to what? call Talk paramedics about bad out. ways like, to go they Jesus. just died watching Ringmaster. <laughs> First the movie died, then they did. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So I actually don't know anyone who has survived Ringmaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there they uh there is and that cemetery still is over there, if you're ever curious. It's, wow. it's over whatever building they built over there now, it's still sitting off yeah, of Walsh, It's funny, Charleston I never go that far because mm-hmm. I have to go to the mall all the time, but there's a point where you're like, well, if I was going to the old theater, I'd go another block and then over. Yep. But I, I can't, I haven't driven that way since that place existed. So, I, and I know I would not derail the show other than I find that fascinating. Like, <laughs> anyway, Cuerna Vista neighborhood, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's also deleted and extended seats on here too. <laughs> but yeah, well, I think we're going to write some ghost stories about that theater. Get them out there. <laughs> Front row Joe. We'll come up with something. We did have a whole theater that we're like last night that I swear to God, we both were like, saw people go in to watch the movie. Like definitely like, yeah, there's like five people in that one. Okay. Like we tickets sold and everything. But at the end of the night, there was no one in there. And we were like, and it was for Barbie. So who the fuck walks out of Barbie? <laughs> you yeah. know, I was like, what? And I asked everybody, did you see people like leave early? from It's like, no. Like, everybody saw him go in. No one ever saw him come out. Yeah. Maybe that's the first ghost story right there. Maybe so. All right. We're going to move on to another movie that John uh, did not like for all the wrong reasons, and that's Evil Dead Rise. (laughs) That one I told you I didn't like. (laughs) Yes, you did warn me you didn't like it. And I was like, well, I liked it a lot. But I'm also kind of an Evil Dead fanboy. Yeah. No, I'm 100% an Evil Dead fanboy. And I feel like it's the only unassailable franchise, horror franchise. The only one that hasn't even had a single misstep. I mean, there are some movies that are better than others, but overall, they're all great for yeah. me. And I thought Evil Dead Rise was no exception. Now, I admit, the first time I saw this was by myself at like five in the morning at a movie theater because we saw it like months before it came out at a certain movie theater. It wasn't mine. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, I was, all, you know, kind of tired. Like, and by, you know, whole, you know, the whole place, all like the whole theater empty, not just that theater, but the whole building. Yeah. And it freaked me the fuck out. <laughs> and I saw it again. Uh, once it came out officially in theaters, I went and bought tickets to go see it. I, I don't know, man. I really like this. And I think one of the reasons I like this as much as I do is because of, uh, the actress Ellie, um, uh, playing the mom here who, you know, as any media you've seen for this makes clear, she obviously becomes sort of the primary deadite. And I thought Alyssa Sutherland, who plays this role, just knocked it out of the park, was just terrifying, creepy as hell. I mean, no, is it, is it something you have, haven't, seen already in an Evil Dead movie? No, most certainly it's more of the same. It's just really well done. I had a good time with it. There's there's some here and there moments I'm like, you could easily poke a hole in that if you were looking at this to poke holes in of like, who would do that type of thing? But for God's sakes, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a over the top gory horror film. If we did that, we'd have to hate almost all the classics of the genre. 
Uh, for me, yeah, I thought this was fantastic. Uh, actually, for the record, people were like, oh, it's the first one that Bruce Campbell wasn't in in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, there was a snake when they're listening to the audio on the yeah. records. That's actually Bruce Campbell. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, um, and the theory is, is that that was a, apparently the director says, in my mind, that is continues Ash's story because it happened when he's time displaced <laughs> with him reading the thing okay. in a, in a chapter yet to be seen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess he's not working at S-Mart anymore. <laughs> All right. So I know you didn't like this. I don't know how you felt about the Fede Alvarez uh, last one, which I thought this is definitely more of a companion piece to than it is to any of the others. I, I'd like Alvarez's better than this. The Fede one was, I, I rewatched it recently. And the first time I watched it, I didn't, I don't think the first time I watched it, it didn't take off to me until the very end when everything gets really apocalyptic. Mm. Rewatching it recently, uh, I liked it more than I did the first time I I watched it. Now I I just thought it was the first time. I just thought it was kind of down the middle in regards to my expectations. Other than the end got pretty wacky, but then it stops right after the ending, so mm-hmm. everything gets really crazy and apocalyptic and the shit hits the fan and then the movie stops like the movie comes to a close um this one i just found it a little underbaked overall hmm. like i it never it never it didn't feel like it built like stuff just kind of happened in an order that made sense uh i i I thought a lot of like the family dynamics didn't read as real to me in any way. Like I had trouble believing that any of these people were related to each other, much less knew each other. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, it, it didn't ring. Uh, it sounds weird to say that it didn't ring true, uh, but it didn't. And I, I think maybe because the roots of it were, I, I don't know. I've only found out after the fact. I didn't realize this in front of in front of the movie that it was originally intended to be straight to video. Hmm. And I think that those roots show in regards to it being like a like a uh like most direct to video horror sequels are cash in products. Sure. While I find this of a higher quality, did it deserve a theatrical release? Yes. It's certainly better than a direct to video. I think the the um, disregard to building a believable core is probably uh, the root of a lot of direct video problems, <laughs> and I think that that carries through. I found it a little tedious. Um, I hmm. I never thought that it like hit the kind of like fever pitch that I thought it would hit. I was probably way oversold on how gory it was. Hmm. Uh, I definitely think the last one is gorier, but I think there's some scenes in here that are deeply, I heard just sp- by the nature of it, yeah. what's happening is like, uh, like the cheese grater, man. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I had heard people say like, oh, I'm surprised that that the stuff that they got away with. And I'm like, uh, I, that kind of phrasing makes me think that, it's going to be way, way, way more than what it was. But that wouldn't have mattered so much because it's like, 
it's like either or, right? Like, well, if this isn't good, then this better be good. Like, mm. if this if if I'm not finding it that extremely gory, that's fine. If I'm invested in the characters in the situation, but if I'm not invested in the characters in the situation, is this other stuff working for me? Right. And none of it was none of it was taking. I was I was just passively looking at it as opposed to feeling engaged by it. All right. Uh, it's slick. It's very, it's very like professional. I mean, I did um, have real problems with the, the bookends, which yeah. I thought there's absolutely no reason for these to be here at all. They serve no purpose in this story other than it feels like it's an abandoned version of this movie. You know, yeah. that's kind of what you're like, why, there's, I mean, this has nothing to do with anything. Why are the, why are they here? And in fact, I feel like the, the bookend, uh, end part of it just kind of distracts from what I thought was already an effective way to end the film. Um, she's given her all. I won't argue, I won't argue with you there. Like, like the lead is giving her all. Yeah. Uh, and it's got, I think that there are things that are, on the page more interesting than an execution, like all the elevator gag stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, it just, yeah, it just never ticks off for me. Yeah. Fair enough. We're, we are going to disagree about that one as well, but you know what? That's going to happen from time to time. I doubt we're going to disagree about this next one, which is Martin Scorsese's 1985, uh, black comedy after hours, which is now being re-released by criterion. And this marks the first time I've ever owned a copy of this. I've always wanted to have a copy of this since I first discovered a DVD of it in a video story many decades ago going, this is such a weird little film and almost no one I know has seen it. Even today, I'm like a lot of even the biggest film buffs I know haven't seen it. And yeah. I'm like it because it only gets re-released. It gets re-released rarely. I don't get the impression that Scorsese considers this to be one of his like bigger, more important films. So he just doesn't really put much weight behind it. But for me, I was always like, yes, yeah, Scorsese can be very, very funny. And there's something about this film that makes me squirm in the right way every time I watch it. It's also weirdly the first film appearance of Cheech and Chong. <laughs> and if you like an American werewolf in London, you got Did one you say of the, the first film appearance of Cheech and Chong. Yeah, I believe so. It can't be. They made movies in the seventies. No, they had albums in the seventies. They made nice dreams and all that other Did stuff. They, I that... could have sworn that those were eighties movies. Uh, I gotta look hmm. it up now. Cause it was mid 80s, wasn't it? Like, After Hours is like 85, 84, 85. Oh, no, you're right. Sorry. 1980 was Cheech and Chong's next movie. So, the for Up in Smoke, the first one was 78. You're right. So, That's not okay. their first movie. I thought it was. That's okay. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, but yeah, Griffin Dunn, who never had, never really became the superstar. Like that, I guess he was most actors would want to be, but he had two big, big, big roles: this and an American Werewolf in London, <laughs> and Amazon Women on the Moon. And, well, I was, wasn't even thinking about that one, and I'm still not. But uh, he plays Paul Hackett, who's a, just a computer data data entry drone, um, and he meets a just startlingly hot Rosanna Arquette uh, in a cafe. And she, they basically, it's a meet cute and he goes home that night and he's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to call her. And she, even though it's late at night, uh, she's like, no, definitely come over. Definitely come. And he's like, okay, well, uh, all I've got is 20. All he has is like 20 bucks and it blows out the window of his cab. Then he can't pay the cab driver. Uh, he gets there. Things are weird and she's weird and her roommate is weird. 
<laughs> and uh, a roommate played by a very sexy, talk about erotic thriller right in the prime of her life, Linda Fiorentino. Um, and before you know it, he's basically stuck in a part of New York he knows nothing about that's not a great part of town, meeting a selection of various weirdos played by some really great actors. Uh, you have John Hurd, <laughs> Terry Garr. Yeah. Uh, uh, who else uh, is in there? Verna Bloom, um, uh, uh, Catherine O'Hara. Oh, yeah, yeah. How can I forget her? Will Patton, Dick Miller. Uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people. And, you know, there's a certain point where they all think he's like this thief that's been stealing stuff from people's places. So he's like, they're all hunting for him. So it's like the worst night ever movie. It's one of those type things. And I just think this movie is delightful and it's funny and it's smart and it's really well shot and acted. Um, yeah. I, I loved rewatching it. There's a, this was the third time I've seen it and it felt like it unlocked for me a little bit. Um, and the thing that kind of was like the Rosetta stone for me while I was watching it was a moment where he goes to the bathroom and he sees a graffiti on the wall of a shark biting a guy on a, on the, on the penis, uh, like a crudely drawn shark biting a guy on the penis. And I, it, he stops and he looks at it and considers it and then goes and pees. And it really changed the way that I think about the movie in regards to it being like, I think the first two times it was like, Oh, it's a, it's a one crazy night movie. And it is a one crazy night movie. Mm -hmm. But I think that all the trouble that he gets into, there's like, I have been, I think, I think nice guys have, there's like a nice guy can be a nice guy. And I'm not talking about like fedora milady nice guys. I'm talking about actual respectful nice guys who will. Uh, I I think let me let me think of how I want to word this without um without uh, poking a a hornet's nest. Um, I think in a way this character is the ultimate quote unquote fuckboy. I think I think he's a nice guy who wants to get laid. He puts up with more than he should. His personal boundaries. Yeah. He sets his own personal boundaries aside in the hopes that he'll get laid. Yeah. And because he does that, he gets like straight up cosmic retribution for not being <laughs> like, uh, not, not being autonomous and instead kowtowing to a whole lot, a whole lot of horse shit just because he thinks Rosanna Arquette just might sleep with him. <laughs> And he, and cause the first half of the movie is him sort of dragging that part out where he's like, no, no, we, I can still make this happen. I can still put this together. I'm going to go back over there. This can still happen for me. I'm going to meet her at the restaurant again. This can all still happen for me. And it doesn't. And yeah, things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. Oh yeah. And it was the, sh it was the shark biting the guy on the dick that made me go, Oh, that's him. Right. The world is the shark biting him on the dick. Like, <laughs> and it just, it was that like, never a snap. occurred to me before, but I see what you're And doing. I was like, I get it. I get it. I've been there. <laughs> I've put up with some horse shit because I thought that maybe I had a chance. Right. I think a lot of nice guys have been like, maybe I have a chance. So I don't like the vibe. I don't like the way this is going, but who knows? <laughs> the night's not over yet. Um, uh, fortunately, I have never been in the shark getting bit on the dick. 
position. Like, I have not endured a night quite like his. No, I don't think few people have. But I could recognize the desperation and the desire to, like, no, let me give this one more shot. Let me give this one more shot. Let me give this one more shot. And it's like, no, you, he, he screws himself. Like, a hundred percent. No, I, I think you summed that up very well. Uh, and I do think if you've never seen this, you should go out of your way to see it. I mean, I don't have to convince you that Martin Scorsese is a great director, I presume, but maybe you are as not as familiar with his work in comedies, of which there's limited amount. There's all often funny stuff in his movies, but yeah. rarely something that is outright considered a comedy. And this is one. Yeah. Uh, this, although this... I, I remember I knew somebody who saw this like, you thought that was funny? Like, they were disturbed that I thought this movie was funny. I'm like, it is literally supposed to be funny. It is described as a comedy. It's like, I don't know what's wrong with people. How can I'm you like, get to some it, of it and over not personal, think it's supposed to be a comedy? Over-personalized it or something. I don't That's know. Weird. I mean, it is distressing, but it's so it's so over the top. I can't imagine taking it that seriously. And there's certain characters in it that are, that are absurd characters. I mean, yeah. honestly, Rosanna Arquette is, spoiler- but it doesn't reveal itself. It peels back layer by layer by layer. Yeah. But really, I mean, the first absurd character that you meet that it's like openly absurd is probably Lydia Fiorentino. Mm-hmm. It's subtle, but she is. Now, there's even less subtle ones because Catherine O'Hara and Terry Garr are both surface level absurd, absurd characters where they tip you off as the fact that they're absurd characters like right away. There's no mistaking them for dramatic characters. Right. Like, I just don't see how you could. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Uh, but... This but is from, anyways. This is from Criterion. It's on 4K. There is Looks a full, great. Full, yeah, it does. There's an archival audio commentary recorded by uh, Scorsese and Griffin Dunn and uh, producer, cinematographer, and editor. Um, and they actually added some extra comments from Dunn and Robinson for this edition. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and then the Blu-ray comes with uh, a new program, which is Martin Scorsese and Fran Lebowitz talking about the period in which this was conceived and shot and just basically talking about like how he came up with it, what it had to do with the actual place that it's based on where it's filmed, uh, filming for your life, making after hours, archival documentary, uh, the look of after hours, which is a new program that has audio interviews with the designer and production designer. Uh, there are seven deleted scenes, a trailer and a leaflet. And yeah, this is good stuff. Uh, seek it out if you have not already seen it. And even if you have, worth rewatching. Let's talk about the last film John Golson watched for Digital Noise this week. The Tank. <laughs> the Tank. The Tank. And unfortunately... Thanks for having me on. <laughs> don't for do having, that. Don't, for, don't, being, for talking don't, about The don't Tank. Don't go there. Thanks for those memories. Um, Starring the semi-gorgon. <laughs> <laughs> this is like... One of those eco-horrors that is kind of reluctant to even admit it's an eco-horror. And there are very few type genres of horror that are tend to be a higher chance of being outright boring than an eco-horror. Like, really. Like, they tend to be little beat you over the head with it. And like, oh my god, the point first point should be to scare. Then if you have one a message, fine. But this one is just nothing happens for so much of it. That by the time something finally happens and then you're like, that's it? I was like, I, I don't care. Even the monster is generic looking. It looks like a, a demigorgon from Stranger Things. Yeah, kind of, looks- but not as detailed or yeah. as cool. Yeah. Um, I, I was not crazy about this. Um, it's like, I mean, you've seen it more recently than I have, so go ahead and you do the plot. Uh, you know, there's like a couple and they <laughs> run a pet store and they move out to, are they moving out to the... 
the the, the mountains. Yeah, they inherit. A, so I watched the first half of this. Let me let me break this down for the audience. I watched the first half of this uh, probably through two weeks ago, and I watched the second half last night. Do I remember what happened in the first half of the film? There was a pet store involved. Yeah. No, they inherit um, a coastal property okay. that's been abandoned that apparently his family has lived in for generations, but that he tank. never knew existed. Yes. Yeah. And there's a tank. And the tank has Stranger Things characters in the tank, <laughs> and it attacks this man and well, his family. Yeah, it's the uh, what do you call it? The water supply. The what yeah. do we call it? A, a, a cistern. A cistern. Yeah, but it's like cistern, really, really old. I miss you from that song. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been the closing credits song. <laughs> cistern Christian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this movie is very slick with beautiful cinematography and capable actors, and is also somehow terrible. Yeah. No, uh, it's it all true. It is astounding. It's like a magic trick because any given element of it, if you imagine you're in a hotel room and you're flipping channels and you're like, what is this? And it says the tank and you're like, I've never heard of this. This looks good. And then you stop and you watch it because it looks like a well-made movie. And then suddenly you're like, why am I, why, why am I watching this? I don't understand how this movie doesn't get it together when, yeah. when the ingredients are all fine other than the monster design. The monster yeah. design sucks. And yeah. screenplay is an ingredient, so don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> it, that's an ingredient it's as just, well. It, like I said, it's one of those ones that it just drags its feet for so long. By the time something finally happens in the short period of time it does, I just... It's never there's no. It's not building... Sus- it, you need to build suspense to get horror. Yeah. And there's no building of suspense. I'm just like, okay... Just one thing happens and the next thing and the next thing and mm-hmm. people going, that's yep. peculiar. Yeah. Like, okay. And then suddenly monster. And, and monsters that look like other monsters you've seen and action sequences and set pieces with the monsters that are all like stuff that you've seen before. Uh, it's, but you know, kudos to the people who shot it. And, and I mean, it's very well acted. shot and acted. Yeah. That's yeah, no this question. like seaside, you know, the coastal, it's beautifully shot. Like, it's like, Oh, it looks like it's like, I think it's New Zealand, right? It's like, it's like Rocky outcrops and the yeah, waves it's supposed to be against Oregon, them. Oregon, I oh, think it's gorgeous, but it's actually New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, it's not very good. No. Other than that, yeah, that it's pretty. Yeah. Uh, and there's like a short EPK. There's a, another short one that's a look into the tank, uh, making the creature. Which who cares? Because again, the creature is one making of the weakest the creature parts. Thing. Uh, they went to Amazon and typed in Demi Gorgon costume, <laughs> right? And then just cut uh-huh, some parts yeah. off of it. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I cannot recommend the tank. Now for this one, I'm just gonna wind up John and let him go because they finally put Swamp Thing out on 4K. Swamp Thing. <laughs> I feel that you are kind of fond of Swamp Thing. I did not like horror movies when I was a kid. Okay. At all. Um, and I have a great affinity for Swamp Thing as a property, as a character. It was the first horror movie to not scare me. And it was the first comic book to actually scare me. <laughs> and so it meets this weird Venn diagram of like, my horror tastes. It is ostensibly an eco horror has certainly put me on the path of loving eco horrors. If you want a breakdown of the plot, uh, Ray wise, uh, plays a scientist named, um, Oh, am I going to forget swamp things name on this very show? How horrible would that be? Alec <laughs> Holland. Um, and Alec Holland is working on 
this genetic having sex with his daughter and then murdering her <laughs> no oh sorry that's a different thing that's uh, a different what that's this? twin peaks never oh. mind uh, Spoiler uh, if you've never seen Twin Peaks. I was <laughs> like, wait, what? What happened? Um, he's working on um, the serum that will make vegetables bigger so that they can feed the world. And bad guys are like, we want that serum because we want to make a bunch of money off of it. And they want to steal the plans and they set fire to the lab. And Alec Holland uh, gets... Uh, lab chemicals all over him and runs out into the swamp on fire. Right to, out of the to, comic books. To put himself out and he is resurrected as, uh, the swamp thing. This, uh, the, the, he's man muck. He's, uh, the avatar of the green. Right. Um, I feel like almost all the titles for him, I'd be like, I need to hire someone to work on this because I feel like swamp thing isn't selling me yeah. <laughs> as a hero. Um, <laughs> And then it's uh, uh, Cable, Abigail Cable, uh, looking to unravel, played by Adrian Barbeau, looking to unravel the mystery of what happened to this research facility that, you know, we heard this stuff was going on out here. She's like, I don't even know. She's not a journalist. I think she's another scientist, right? Uh, she is a researcher, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Louis Jordan from Gigi. Yeah. Plays Anton Arcane. Also, previously a James Bond villain. Yeah. yeah. Plays Anton Arcane. This is a Wes Craven movie. Yeah. Um, a Unbelievably. comic book movie before comic book movies were cool. Yeah. Honestly, pretty freaking faithful. It's, I mean, the it's, suit's not the best. They were no, working with what they were working it's with. Largely pretty faithful to yeah. the comics. Um, and that part of it I can respect. I like the. I like the sort of low rent monster movie finale. Uh, I like, I especially like, I think the scene, and maybe it's because I saw it as a child, but I still find it disturbing when the, um, Anton Arcane's like, yes man, like one of his thugs, uh, gets injected with stuff and turns into like a pig man during a dinner. Yeah. I, I still find that scene like delightfully. <laughs> bizarre and it is troubling. pretty bizarre i find it troubling um i mean you're definitely holding over some stuff from childhood here and i get that it is mostly an action movie yeah and it's, the, the action horror... consists of cars being flipped over trucks yeah. being flipped over boats being flipped over pontoons being flipped over it's very and human beings being it's flipped very over. 80s action tv show action yeah <laughs> yeah. You know, you expect the guys from Riptide yeah. to show up at there's some point. There's lots of pon. There's like a link, a lengthy pontoon chase. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But I just, as a superhero monster movie goes, it's it's uh, you know, it's pretty. I admire the fidelity. I like the authenticness of the swamp locations. Um, Adrian Barbeau is a strange personality in this because. She really leans into her Adrian Barboneness. This like I don't give a shit. Like yeah. <laughs> like and she's just all that. Like it's no damsel type or even like leading lady type. It's yeah. just straight up Adrian Barbeau playing like no shit's given. And I like Adrian I like that this is a very rare example of somebody that she is no screaming Mimi no. female person. Like when the action shit happens, she's like does not hesitate. She's like immediately like kick this guy in the nuts, elbow this guy in the face, take the gun and shoot five of them, yeah. and you're like, damn girl, <laughs> you in this period of time, you didn't see that happen very often. There Unless are... the whole movie was built around a sexy female yeah. action character, but for her to be like the love interest to the actual hero, so I'm thinking, you're like, 
that's not something you saw very often. There was, there's almost nothing like it from the year 1982. It is, it is equal parts horror film, superhero film, action film, <laughs> sci-fi film. Um, and I, I really, truly, honestly dig it. I get that it's cheap. I get that you can see the zipper on Swamp Thing's costume. Yes. Uh, also, the guy they have playing him was not the greatest. Oh, Dick Durock. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's not as evident in this one as it is in the sequel, yeah. where he basically turns into the Toxic Avenger. Yeah. Where he's just like, what? He's like, hello, kids. Don't forget to take your vitamins. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. In this one, he, he gets to play him more like the comic character instead of whatever Jim yeah. Wynarski was trying to do with, with him in that, that movie. Awful The costume sequel. is better in that movie. Uh, yeah, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, the, I feel like, all right, so. The kid is better in this one. It's than not, that. yes. It's not like <laughs> this is, a, a, on paper, a good movie. And I don't actually particularly you? like How it. dare you? <laughs> I'm not the world's biggest fan of Swamp Thing, but I can see, like, okay. Cut I, your own mic. <laughs> <laughs> it's understandable why this has a cult following and why it does deserve some respect for being 1982 superhero movie that is as loyal as it is to the source material and does as good of a job as it does. It was certainly no advertisement for Wes Craven, you know, moving away from horror, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which he rarely did. Uh, but I liked Adrian Barbeau a lot in it. Uh, I, I generally do. Uh, and the villain is just, I mean, he's basically playing the same role he does every time he plays a villain. He's just doing the same thing. There's some goofy reanimator ish type stuff going on in here as well. Um, yeah, I mean, they're both bad movies, sorry, but the second one is so spectacularly over-the-top terrible and makes just terrible decision after terrible decision that if you wanted to pick one to watch for, like, say, bad movie night, you're going to have more fun with the sequel than you are with this one, because this one is trying to actually make a good movie. But there's a greater chance, there is also, and I will say this, there's also a greater chance that you might legitimately love this one. Okay, Instead of ironically love the second one. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, it can still happen. There are two versions in this new 4K, um, the theatrical version and the unrated version, which is only like less the, than two Here's the longer. difference for the people listening, because this was it's a just big... just Adrian Barbeau nudity, isn't there's it? A, there's nudity as well in a party scene at Arcane's house. Right. Um, there's like people walking around topless in that scene. Right. So you have a scene of her bathing and you have a scene of... A uh, bunch of people naked doing. Chicks. People doing coke and like walking around naked in a, at a party scene. Uh, back in the day, there was a snafu with MGM's original DVD release where hmm. it said it was a PG version and it was the the international uncut version, which for some reason is the version I remember seeing on cable as a kid. Hmm. I remember it having nudity, so they were playing that uncut version because I remember the bath scene. How could I? I well, mean, yeah, it's probably pretty formative. Like, um. <laughs> But yeah, I remember that being, and they used to actually, HBO used to air the scene where she's in the phone booth and Swamp Thing runs up and goes, cable, cable, because they would air it as like, oh, call your cable provider today to order. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah, that's pretty they, funny. They used it as a, as the spot. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, there's Tales of the Swamp with Adrian Barbeau, uh, reminiscing about the film. Uh, Hey Jude with actor Reggie Batts, uh, reminiscing about the film uh that swamp thing i look back with len wine the actual creator of the swamp thing although i still always ha- in my mind i'm always like that i mean that's cool and all len but alan moore is the one who made swamp thing cool 
Sorry. Is this all the same? Do you know if this is the same set of features from the Blu-ray release? Uh, this is from the Shout Factory release okay, that, that yeah. had come out previously. Yeah. This is not a Shout uh, 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 release. But there are two things that are not on, are not from that one, which are these next two, which is a swamp screen designing DC's main monster, which is, this is 88 films putting this out. And this is their new featurette with the production designer. And from Krug to comics, how mainstream shaped a radical genre voice, uh, which is critic film Kim Newman, who you've probably seen in a thousand different bonus features. I don't know how this dude gets as much work as he does, but damn, he appears on almost everything uh, that is him talking about it. And then there's like trailers, posters and lobby cards, uh, film photo gallery, lots and lots of galleries and two different audio commentaries, one with Wes Craven and one with a makeup effects artist. There's wads of Spanish moss inside the disc case. (laughs) It's like all kinds of stuff. I don't know. Uh, I, you know, it's fine. I'm glad you like it as much as you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do wish someone would do an honest to God, like, like a really Man. good horror director who's like, I'm going to do Alan Moore's vision of something. I think Bang. that I, I really, you know, and I'm not a Lynn Wiseman guy. I don't really like Lynn Wiseman's movies. But you think he'd be I good at it? I think that pilot of the, oh, the TV show, TV show it, the pilot that's the was, closest it comes yeah. to like, man, they get into some body horror stuff in there. The pilot was the good. The show becomes like a weird soap opera about Will yeah. Patton's family, but yeah. that first episode I promises agree. so much. That's the thing. Great first episode. Everyone was so excited about it. Then you keep watching it and you're like, oh, I see why this got canceled yeah. because it goes nowhere after that. You're like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, next up is more superhero stuff with Justice League War World. This is based on a previously existing comic series that I had never read or even heard of. Um, yeah, I, I'm like, wait, what? War World? Uh, I guess this there came uh, out I, a, a quite a while uh, ago because Crisis on Infinite Earths was the follow up to this originally. And now this is gonna, this ends on, it's not really a cliffhanger. They've finish the main story but then they're like come with me if you want to save everything and apparently the next one is crisis on infinite earths yeah that's coming out but it's like okay uh i guess it's a thing i guess it was very different in the comics but that's often the case yeah with so these. The, when i saw the title i assumed right away just from being a dc fan and this is not a spoiler because if you're a dc fan and you hear like gotham city you think batman if you're a DC fan, you hear War World, you immediately think Mongol, who's a Superman villain. Yeah. And instead of, like, seeing Mongol... Well, who is in this? He's in it. But just but doesn't it's like look anything you get like a, him, so. You get a um, Wonder Woman Jonah Hex story, then you get a Batman Warlord story, then you get a Superman Martian Manhunter story, and then at the end you get Mongol and that. So it's it's weirdly structured because they... It's almost like an, it like an anthology up yeah. until the end when it's revealed that it's not an anthology. I don't think that's necessarily, that doesn't spoil anything. It's just, you will be watching and go, oh, I didn't know that. And then you will go, oh, I know that. I yeah. guess that is the definition of a spoiler, but. I mean, it, I mean, you're absolutely <laughs> It doesn't right. ruin anything. You can't talk about it without saying yeah. that, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, at first you're going to be like, you'll watch the first segment, like, and you're like, it ends and you're like, wait a minute, what? And then starts this whole other thing with a yeah. different look and different characters. You're like, okay, I guess this is sort of a, like a um Elseworlds anthology type thing. Um it's not ultimately, but it feels like it. Yeah. I enjoyed those parts more than I did the actual thing that apparently is more based on the comic. Where I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. That this is like a a version different version of things. I did find it a little confusing that they cast Jonah Hex as the bad guy. It's like, huh? 
Yeah, <laughs> they've also got like they kind of try to make Mongol different than he is in the comics. Like yeah. they make him a little bit more like Darkseid or Thanos, and yeah. Mongol is a little bit more like. There's a great animated Mongol, and it's the adaptation of Alan Moore's "What Do You Buy for the Man Who Has Everything," mm-hmm. which is a story about Superman getting that Kryptonian flower like attached to his chest. Yeah. Or I don't even know if it's from Krypton, but he gets that flower attached to his chest and it makes him live in his own head. And he's living his whole life in Krypton as a family man in his own head. Right. And he doesn't realize that on the outside, Batman and Wonder Woman are like, we've got to get this thing off of him because he's just going to stay living here forever and ever and ever. Right. Um, And that's a Mongol story. Which which was so popular, many different genre television shows have adapted it and and using, like, okay, the exact same plot. Oh, they're straight up a Supergirl that is this... I oh, think yeah. even has the same title that no, they no. credit. Alan there is. Yeah. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer has an episode like that. That is the one I always think about. Like, oh, what if you could have had a normal life? Yeah. Like, almost every genre TV show has taken that and done their own version of yeah. it. That's how big that comic was when it came out. Um, this was boring. I don't know why, but... Well, let me, I, let me backtrack. Actually, somebody gave me a reason as to why they do this. But for some reason, everyone talks like this... <laughs> And they all have conversations like this, no matter the urgency of the situation. Right. And it's like, I was like, why is everyone in this thing talking like that? Like, what the hell? Somebody I know who is in the realm of animation and may or may not have an association with Warner Brothers animation specifically said that what happens in a case like that is that the animatics have to go overseas and get animated before the voice tracks are laid down and then the voice tracks basically have to talk slowly to match the results that they got back from overseas. Well, that's terrible. It is terrible. They should do it completely differently than uh, that. Well, you know, cost cut. Well, I mean, I admit this is not one of the stronger entries here. I liked what it was trying to do, but yeah, you have that going on. There's a sort of, this felt generally kind of cheap. You know, it felt rushed. And a lot of like, wait, that's not how that character is, that you keep going through it. I mean, I'm not queenie at all, but there's things that you were like, you know, characters are a certain way, are popular because of a certain way that they are. Yeah. You make Jonah Hex into generic, like, Western villain number 17. What the fuck? Perp- Why even make him Jonah Hex? Yeah. Uh, if you make Mongol just look like, he just looks like a skinny he's, he's just alien. Dark side. Yeah, yeah. Skinny dark side. Yeah. I, I, I was kind of baffled by it. I mean, I don't think this is not worth watching if you're a DC fan, but it's certainly not one of the stronger entries yeah. in the animated universe. And it felt like they know it too, because usually these have some decent bonus features, and this is like <laughs> almost nothing. There's just like a little tiny bit of behind the scene featurette stuff, um, and uh, it's it doesn't even. Usually these will come with like oh related episodes from the universe, which they could have done because apparently the original Justice League Unlimited show had a two parter that was War World story. They could have put those on here, but maybe they didn't because they didn't want people going. Why didn't you just do that? Yeah, that was better. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I was not crazy about War World, but whatever. Uh, I found that the these DC animated ones, they kind of just go back and forth with like how much, how worthless or worth, or, or worth, how much worth they have. You'll get one that's, you'll always get one that's good enough to make you want to watch the next four that aren't very good. Uh, that's probably more <laughs> accurate. I'd say three. I'd say it's one to three. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So next up, we have Will Penny, a movie I've always heard about and always wanted to see because Charlton Heston, who plays the lead titular role, always called it the best movie he was ever in. Oh. 
spoiler, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I get it. This is sort of a things at classic what? America things, right. uh, very Charlton Heston personality. Things were better when they used to be the way they were, which they never really were type of thing. And it's the problem is this is one of the most boring fucking Westerns I've ever seen. How's it this? How we like. I feel like I've seen this movie a dozen times, but I know I've never seen this movie. But it's, every beat of it, I was just like, are you kidding me? This is the, oh, the, the, the grizzled old cowboy meets seen, the single mom and her son. And have the, you ever seen Monty Walsh with Lee Marvin? No. Same movie. But it's like, like literally the and same then movie. And the single mom falls in love with him and he's like, uh, you know, he, he, he acts as a father figure to the boy the and he protects the cowboy them from trope. like, yeah. He protects them from uh, interlopers. I was just like, it feels like I've seen this a thousand. Yeah, times. it's it's one of the it's one of the you know five or so you're going to keep seeing it over and over again. Western tropes. You know, my favorite one is loner comes through the town. Town hires him to protect them from like bad guys, which started with sam- a samurai thing, but mm-hmm. still, like that's a western trope you're going to see over and over again. Tends to be fun. That's the Django trope, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, this one tends to more often than not be not that interesting unless it's Clint Eastwood playing the, the character. <laughs> and this is not. This is Charlton Heston, who is no Clint Eastwood. And I found Will Penny just, I mean, the only thing about it that's interesting at all to me is that Donald Pleasance is playing like this ridiculous over the top. I'm a Christian villain, but it's such a stupid character and it's so over the top that he's just doesn't even seem real. You have, you have trouble understanding how they, how he would like function to just like go buy stuff at the general store. Like, yeah, you, you exactly. couldn't live your life like that. Uh, and there's like other lead, like this is apparently Lee Major's first role. Yeah. Uh, who went on I, to be the six million dollar man. I didn't recognize John Grease until the movie was over. Right. Uh, who was, uh, I believe, wait. He was the little boy. It was his no, no, first no. movie. Uh, Tom Grease is the one who directed it. Oh, it was his, some nepotism. He was yeah. the, he was an original nepo baby. <laughs> I believe so. Uh, but, and then Bruce Dern is in it. Um, uh, Ben Johnson, Slim Pickens, Clifton James, a lot <laughs> of familiar faces who are barely in the fucking movie. Most of it is really just kind of Charlton Heston and, uh, Joan Hackett and this sort of zero chemistry, slowly growing love story between the two of them. That's not really a love story. And I don't know, man. I, I was, I love Westerns. Yeah. And, even, you know, the old classics. I've always heard this was the classic that was on my list. Oh, I better catch this one eventually. And it is not. This is kind of terrible, I thought. I went back and forth on the line on this as to, like, like if I were star rating it, would it be two and a half or three? Because when I think of a three-star movie, I think it, it, it accomplished what it was trying to do. And anything less than three is sort of like... If it hits a two and a half, it's like it wasn't really successful at what it was trying to do. And I really weighed, was it successful at what it was trying to do at a bare minimum level? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's 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 very well worn. It's got a ton of character actors in it. It's got a lot of like period grit. So you run the you. There's always those. 60s westerns that either look like they're shot on Disney's back lot or they look like they're freaking in some kind of apocalyptic other world like the Italian stuff. Mm-hmm. And here you you end up with like it looks like the American West and everything 
looks and feels appropriate. I appreciated that. It didn't have that glossy back lot feel. Um, and it just, it, I could not tell whether it didn't have an original bone in its body or whether it was this the first was one, one of the first ones. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Either. Um, it, it was right down the middle for me. I may have liked it more than you, but that doesn't mean that I really even liked it. It was just kind of like, I thought it, I may have thought it was more successful at what it was attempting to do, but even then, at, a, at the bare minimum of success. Yeah. It wasn't like I was very involved with any of it. I, I just never found it boring. So mm. for me, I think that was sort of it was like I'd seen everything before. Nothing was particularly great, but I also wasn't bored by it. There's my strong <laughs> there's my strong recommendation for Will Penny. Oh, well. Uh, there's remembering Will Penny and archival program with Charlton Heston and it, John Grease talking about working with it. Uh, it, it struck me as like, it struck me as like the kind of movie Quentin Tarantino would love because you haven't heard of it. You know what I mean? Right. Not because it's that original, but, but just because it has a bunch of actors that he would think are cool. Like yeah. Lee Majors and he Bruce just, Dern. I think it was, but a, then he would really like it because it wasn't as well known as some others. So right. he probably like loves the shit out of Will Penny. That does sound like something yeah. he would love. Uh, there's the Cowboys of Will Penny, another archival program with Charlton Heston talking about the rest of the cast. Uh, and then there's a new audio commentary track by author screenwriter C. Courtney Joyner, critic Henry Park, and Will Penny script supervisor Michael Priest. All right, we'll move on to something else, thank God, and that's, oh no, it's McBain. <laughs> Look, do you have a dad? Does your dad like going to the video store and writing stuff for the weekend? <laughs> then you'll love McBain. Look, first off, the fact that it's an action movie called McBain that actually came out after The Simpsons joke. I presumed The Simpsons joke was based on this, but no. I would have answered the same way. I, if I was a on who wants to be a millionaire i would have lost yeah yeah no i would have presumed that that was based on this because this is a ridiculous absurd action guy who doesn't do all that much actual action but it's christopher walken for god's sakes and it playing an action hero is that exist anywhere else because i don't think it does he's kind of like the hannibal of sort of like this little like makeshift yeah A-team. hannibal from the a-team yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um and then uh uh, Maria Conchita Al- Alonso playing, so I guess the love interest at best, because this movie isn't really about McBain, right? It's more about her than it's about McBain. It's about humanity. It's, it's, it's about what it takes to be a man. It, it's James Glickenhaus is directed and wrote it, which should tell you everything you need to know about you should have probably avoid it because he did not make, I can't. I don't think he actually made anything I can recommend. Like, even his Jackie Ch- Okay, Basket Case 2, executive producer. I guess that counts. And Frankenhooker. <laughs> but he didn't make those. He just produced them. Uh, as a director, it's like, oh, man. Even, like, he made the worst Jackie Chan American film, The Protector. Yeah. It's awful. Like, unwatchable. Um, yeah. It's like, just like a cop fighting. It's, it, like... Uh, he's a cop, right? Like, he's no, a, no, he's a, he, well, no, he's a cop, but he's, he's, no, 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 he's a construction worker. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. No. All right. So, so let's I, go back. So isn't he beginning. a cop that's brought into, there's a, there's the drug trade from South America. Right. And he's like, uh, uh, and he gets all his war buddies together. Yeah. 
and they're, he, gets the, he gets the gang back together. They're like, we're going to stop the drug trade. Yeah, they literally go to single-handedly stop the drug trade in Colombia and save the innocent people of Colombia from the drug yeah. trade. Um, yeah. This is, you couldn't get a more uh, 1991 action movie if you tried, yeah. right? Uh, it's absurd. And like, he and his buddies are all Vietnam vets. The only reason he's even in this group is because all his other buddies saved his ass uh, from being a in uh, being a prisoner of war in, my head in Vietnam. No, no, and then I think it's just the McBain and then like the sure. guy who's sort of like the one who went like, no, guys, we're gonna save this BOW. Like, so he owes him a life debt, whatever. Like the guy rips a hundred dollar bill in half. Is like this half is yours, and like if anybody ever comes to you with this other half, and it might be me, might be someone else, then you owe them this debt. And, Maria Conchita Alonso, who's his sister, and he got involved in this revolution and got killed. She's like, hey, I heard that this is worth a thing. Uh, and so he's like, fuck, I got to leave my construction job. And I guess it was New York City and get the gang back together, including the one of them that's done very well for themselves, Michael Ironside. But he's like, I'm still going to have to charge you. I, you know, I don't do this shit for free. And weirdly, they don't ever make him into a bad guy because of it. They it's one of a- the weirdest angles of the film that they don't villainize him over that they're like yeah that's fair here's i will great, give him 10 million dollars here's a great <laughs> idea for a high concept comedy that i'm going to put out in the ether which is a one of these movies where somebody is like oh i need to get the old gang back together from my military days and we're gonna go do this mission and have them all just be like no like i'm a dad now like I don't i'm not do gonna that. go do this with you well the only way that would work is if they had something on them that yeah. was like okay i cannot ever let this get out you know, and so I have no choice. But see, I, but I don't know that, that I would. I don't funny. know that I would bring them into. The, so I wouldn't make them go over there and do the action. I would make the guy who needs to go do the thing <laughs> stuck in whatever small town that they these people live in, trying to trying different ways to talk them into going overseas and killing people. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I'm not sure where that would go, but okay, <laughs> we we could work with that. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, it's just, there, there's nothing to this movie in terms of character. Like, literally, everyone is just kind of a barely explored cliche of a type of character in action movies. McBain himself, Christopher Walken, is... I mean, who gives Christopher Walken a script with almost no lines? Like, his whole thing is, let the man talk. We love hearing Christopher Walken talk. He barely talks in this movie. Like, he's just, yeah, he's just that background Hannibal guy brought it out again. Still waters run deep. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's really just kind of a showboating for a sort of very conservative message type of movie and as well for the guys who were doing the explosions in the explosions department. Because those guys knock it out of the park. Like, no question, this had kind of a budget. If you love to see brown people jump from exploding towers, this is the movie for you. This is the movie for you, because that happens almost constantly in the third act. Uh, This is really bad, John. And I'm sorry you had to sit through it. It, it is exactly the kind of thing that my stepdad would have rented over the weekend <laughs> and and then maybe a year later rented again. Oh, my God. Because he forgot he rented it before? No, because he liked it that much. Yeah, this is bad. Don't see it unless you're one of those people who's just like, I like the worst films I can see if they have a budget. There's and only one person that I would Quentin tell Quentin Tarantino watch this. is like, no, this movie make pain. Brian Salisbury, if you're listening, this yeah. is your pick of the week. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what I thought it too. I didn't want to say it. Uh, there's a commentary with James Glickenhaus and a film historian who really wasted their time with this and a theatrical trailer. And that is it. Um, this is bad. Don't watch it. Then we've got a 
hard to hard to argue with unassailable classic National Lampoon's Vacation now available on 4K. Although there are those people who try and convince me Christmas Vacation is better, and I have taken them seriously enough to watch them back to back in the past, and I disagree. I disagree as well. Okay, uh, I, but I grew up with Vacation. I did. Too. I can't separate it from myself. I watched it the same way that like little kids who nowadays watch like frozen over and over and over yeah i watched vacation over and over and over Mm. for a long time as a child i couldn't stand by a swimming pool without going this is crazy this is crazy this is crazy (laughs) before i jumped in um so this is uh, this movie is a part of me in a in a weird way um yeah uh i watched it in 4k to watch it again mostly because i was curious about the picture um if you haven't seen vacation it's about the griswolds uh clark griswold plans a family vacation to wally world it's going to be a cross-country road trip uh it's written by written and directed by john hughes um, uh no not directed by john hughes no uh directed by ramus uh, ramus oh wait Harold hold ramus. on yeah yeah it's right. directed by harold ramus, Harold, yeah. harold ramus. Uh, who actually i just want to point out we never gave him enough credit for his part in comedy history because he has directed some of the greatest comedies ever made. Yeah. Like, like Caddyshack, um, uh, Groundhog's Day, like analyze this. He's made some really great comedies and like people just don't, they, I, they still go, Oh, Egon from Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, the guy who directed National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah. John uh, Hughes wrote the screenplay. Wrote, though. wrote the screenplay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's taking the kids to Wally World, cross-country trip, gets into various antics along the way. Yeah. Uh, Chevy Chase plays Clark Griswold and has played him through all of the movies, including the reboot cool. And the only other person who, who is in all of them is Beverly D'Angelo playing his yeah. playing his wife. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's just basically a series of escalating vignettes, which is how you do a movie with that's made out of vignettes. You want them to escalate. Yeah, like you a road trip movie is. Comedy should yeah. escalate. Yeah, um, Everything escalates. Some things are tied into other things where an event in one place will affect the outcome of, a, of an event in another place. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I can't objectively stand back and separate myself from it i I cannot either i think that if i had never seen it before my guess would be that there would be something for someone in it like even if you didn't think that one thing was funny when they got to the next town you might think the stuff there was funny yeah so that's the best guess i I have and again i think it escalates correctly it's hard for me to gauge whether this feels dated or not i don't feel like it does but like comedy is so weirdly like mutatable. There's films that like from the twenties that weren't funny in the eighties that now are funny. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, because it just changes based on what, what's going on at the time. I don't know if kids today would find this funny or not, but I would think they would. Uh, it was a classic for you and me. We grew up like this was one we were like, yeah, it's one of the all time great comedies. Yeah. Um, it's certainly, I would say the best Chevy Chase film. Hmm. That's interesting. Now I'm like running through his filmography that he stars head. in. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. But you may be right. Yeah, um, yeah. But here's the problem with this release. First off, yes, is it the best looking version of it that's out there? Certainly. 
but it's really not a big step up from the previous edition on Blu-ray at all. Uh, you'll, you would, if someone put this on and told you it was Blu-ray, you would believe it was Blu-ray and not 4K. It uh, kind of varies scene to scene. I think that some yeah. of, the, I think some of the scenes look absolutely the sharpest they've ever looked and other scenes don't. They just, they, they are, they look like the Blu-ray. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but the real reason to like not get that excited is that, yeah, almost all the extras are gone from the previous existing versions of this film. Well, that's they a just weird cut choice. everything out but the audio commentary, uh, which is yeah, very weird choice. I think it was because they did not want to release a Blu-ray disc with it, and 4K tends to be too big with uh, like just when you store it on a disc to have much in the way of bonus features. So you mo- you'll notice most 4K releases that do have a lot of bonus features, it's because of a Blu-ray disc that ships with it. Um, so this is a one-disc release, no bonus features. Yeah. So if you if you were thinking about double dipping, don't throw away your Blu-ray copy. <laughs> I, I, you brought up the Christmas Vacation thing. I think that I watched all five of the Vacation movies back to back to back, not counting uh, the Eddie direct-to-video sequels. I'm talking. There were Eddie direct-to-video yeah, sequels. There's a Christmas Vacation two, which is called Eddie's Vacation. Oh boy. Um, but there's. You know, vacation, European vacation, Christmas vacation, Vegas vacation, and the remake. vacation again, yeah. which is uh, it's rusty. Uh, Ed Helms is well, it's, rusty. It's kind of a remake, right? Aren't they it's going to aren't they going yeah, to Wally yeah, yeah, World yeah, again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and when I watch them all back to back, it's interesting to see how formless European vacation is immediately after this. It's like it has no plot to speak of or goal they win a trip to europe at the beginning and then it just kind of like floats right and it's awful like yeah. i didn't realize how bad it was until i rewatched it recently and I, i've like, been reading it really bad i think it's been 20 years since I. and then christmas it. was after that and what was interesting was like the gags in european even though it's all from the same writer all three of the first movies are from hughes mm-hmm. the gags it's like vacation feels like the real world and the cartoon stuff bleeds in, and European feels like a cartoon, and no real world stuff bleeds in. Like they ram their plane into the Statue of Liberty's torch, and the torch like swings around and falls upside down. Like <laughs> it's so dorky. And then three to me tries to course correct from two, but it still is too much like two. Like it still has so much cartoony stuff in it, and lacks. Whatever the whatever the sense was from the first one mm-hmm. that these were real people going to a real place. Yeah, this whole thing, like the electrocution, funny Christmas light scene. You're like, yeah. okay, I, yeah. I agree with you. I always thought Christmas vacation. It lo- there's a sort of this is plausible to vacation yeah. that none of the sequels have. Yeah, uh, and I think that's what keeps me from really falling in love with Christmas vacation. I like it fine as a sequel during, and I watch it during Christmas time, but I'm not as enamored of it. Uh, I, I think the first one had, yeah, has trace elements of reality that make it a little, a little more special than, than Christmas. But that's me. Fair know? enough. The neighbors, like the neighbors in, in, uh, I mean, are another thing that's super I'm the guy that in Christmas I vacation. I generally don't watch straight Christmas movies during Christmas. I watch horror Christmas movies. Yeah. Like all but exclusively, John. I'm like, I don't want to see It's a Wonderful Life. For note, I've still never oh, seen Chris. It's a Wonderful Life. 
Uh, anyway, let's move on to one recent release, Asteroid City, already out on streaming. Yes. Uh, and on Blu-ray now. Yes. Um, it is, uh, the latest Wes Anderson film. I have already talked about this movie at length, uh, in our review. I think over time I have come to where, <sighs> like, my estimation of it has somewhat reduced. I still think it's a very entertaining film. I just think it's, I have become completely baffled why it's not just the desert story. What was it's, the point of the rest of it being there? So the structure of this is set up where, if you haven't seen Asteroid City, the structure of this is set up where there is a uh, playwright played by Edward Norton who is writing a play called Asteroid City. And then the movie that you watch, the Asteroid City movie you watch, is the play being executed on paper. So it's almost like the writer's imagination of the play is sort of what we're seeing as a film. Right. And then it's not like we're seeing the actual play. But then we're also it's watching a, like a made for TV documentary about the play being made. That's hosted by Brian Cranston. Yes, that's true as well. Um, I found it to be Wes Anderson's least accessible movie. It's definitely not um, terribly accessible. But like I said, again, if you had cut all that other stuff out and just focused on the town, I feel like it would have been fine. But that stuff just keeps getting in the way of, like, you being able to really access it. Yeah. Um, I sh I was really challenged by this one as a viewer. Um, I don't know. You know, I saw a conversation happen, and I really disagreed with it, where a friend of mine was like, hey, can somebody explain Asteroid City to me? Because I don't get this at all. And somebody in her comments that I didn't know was like, it's a Wes Anderson movie. You're not supposed to get it. I don't and agree I'm like, with that. I don't agree with that at all. I think his stuff has been pretty, pretty gettable. I think that's um, just, I, th I always find that shit lazy. I will agree with people when we're talking about David Lynch, yeah. but because Lynch's stuff is all I, supposed to yeah, be like I don't dreams. Think but, that, I don't think that Wes Anderson makes bizarre yeah. esoteric films. I, I think he makes meticulous aesthetic films. But I don't think that that's the same thing. I think that just because his movies have a very distinctive look, I think they've all been pretty accessible up until this one. The structure again breaks things. It's also weirdly the, the, because of the structure, it, it screws with the central conflict of the movie mm -hmm. where it's hard to get a handle on on the central driving conflict of the movie. It mm -hmm. sort of ends up being about Jason Schwartzman as an actor, but we spend more time with Jason Schwartzman as this character. And that doesn't work. And it's artistically noble. Like it's gorgeous in 4k. It, it um, feels like a, it feels like a trick. Like he had this script sitting around and he couldn't quite make it work. So instead of fully fleshing it out and getting to a point where it felt finished, he just added two extra layers to it on the outside. Mm. You know, that's what it felt like to me, where I'm like, I like everything that's going on here. But if if you did just keep it to the desert stuff and that was the whole movie, it wouldn't feel like a complete piece. It's not there yet. But it feels like, yeah, this just needs a little more working and prodding and we get to a complete Wes Anderson film. I don't know. that. The more I think about it, the more I feel like that aspect of it just felt like a lazy way of like pumping something out um which is surprising to me because i generally don't think wesley anderson's lazy at all yeah. in his filmmaking he's very precise uh especially his last one the french dispatch which i absolutely loved but was very different from anything he'd done before 
it was like, oh, he's exploring in new directions. I also think this is him maybe at a point where he's like, I just want to try something a little different. Like he's just kind of yeah. a little bored and wants to reach out in new directions, but this is one where it doesn't quite get there. What works works. And a lot of it works for Wes Anderson fans, but as a complete film, it, it just, it's, there's a lot here that should have been better than it is. Yeah. I admire it. Um, and I, I don't think that it's, um, I agree with, I agree with what, you what you just said uh yeah i can't say it any better than that fair enough thank you uh there's almost no extra features there's a seven minute epk that's not going to tell you anything you didn't know i mean i wonder sometimes with wes anderson films like why bother sooner or later criterion will just put it out and they'll do all that shit so yeah <laughs> uh yeah not much to recommend here for this particular version of this home release our last movie today though is honestly i'll tell you john this is actually my personal pick of the week i'll let you decide ultimately what that is uh for the whole show but Hugo on 4K coming out from Arrow. Uh, this is another Martin Scorsese film that is way outside of what you usually expect from Martin Scorsese is that he made a whimsical, lighthearted child adventure movie that is also, well, this part does sound like Scorsese, a complete love letter to the history of film. And I tell you, when I saw this in the theater, I, it just moved me unbelievably. I was, I thought this was kind of a perfect movie. And now this is the third time that I've seen it watching this new 4K. Yeah. Absolutely. Same thing. Just moved on beyond belief, crying at points. And also one of the best looking films that Scorsese ever shot. Uh, it was originally shot for 3D. Uh, even James Cameron, who of course is crazy and did all his movies in 3D when that was a thing, said, no, this is the best 3D movie ever made. This is by far the best use of 3D ever. And even though this 4K, I, I don't have a 3D player, so I just watched the 4K version of it. Uh, um, so I'm not watching it in 3D, but it kind of felt like it was in 3D <laughs> as I'm watching it. Cause it's just like, it, it's so crisp and perfect transfer to 4k like the kind of film you want to see done in 4k because it just it just takes full advantage of the upgrade to that point it was so beautiful you kind of felt like it was expanding past your screen and yeah that and that didn't hurt that it was shot in the way that taking advantage of that uh just great performances across the board uh based on it, it received 11 academy award nominations including best picture and yet most people i know have never seen it or couldn't or be damned if they could even tell you what it was like if, if you went like yeah that movie hugo came out this year uh no idea what that is never heard of it i mean kind of shocking asa butterfield in one of his early films playing the lead titular character the young chloe grace moretz ben kingsley Sasha Baron Cohen playing, well, still a comedic role, not his normal brand of uh, comedy. Ray Winstone, Emily Mortimer, Jude Law, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, Christopher Lee, uh, I believe in one of his last roles. Um, I just find this whole film kind of a perfect movie and maybe my favorite movie about movies. Hmm. And I love a lot of movies about movies, but this one is just so... It's just so goddamn sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Lowering the, dropping the hammer go. with John Golson. Here we go. This is the second time I watched it. The first time, uh, I, I wasn't crazy about it and I thought maybe it was a me thing. Um, and this time I watched it and I also wasn't crazy about it. So mm. it is a, it's a me thing. Um, <laughs> it, it's so, 
I think that the the transfer is like super terrific. Like it is what the nerds call reference quality. Like it is a 4K that you put on to make people understand why they should upgrade to 4K. Yeah. It is one that you it is one of the best 4K transfers I have ever seen. So in that regard and you know we are a home theater show, so in the home theater regard like that is exactly the kind of disc that you want, right? Is like, sure. come over and look at this. Just look at it. Look at, you believe, just let your eyes feast. <laughs> um, God, I find this movie boring. Wow. And I wish I didn't. I so wish I didn't. And there's sometimes there's movies I think like, there's sometimes, like, the cat is getting me. The, Sorry. You sent, you sent the cat over here to bite I, I, me, didn't I did you? Get him. Like, get him. Quellish, quellish. That's the attack word from Lunar Park 6. Just push him off the couch. Just I, he's push directly him off. behind me. I have to, like, just go roll like, him. Push him behind the couch. There you go. Just go. Whoosh, just push him off. There you go. Um. Anyways. Uh. Yeah. I, I wish that I found this more interesting. Uh. I don't know what it is. I th- it's it may be everything goes on a little longer than I maybe want it to. I can't put my finger on why I find I I I've of course we've I've articulated my my whys through this <laughs> whole show. I get to this one, I can't really tell you why. It's just a matter of personal taste, mm. and I think that's all it boils down to. Because I can't point to something and go, "This is the thing," and this is the reason why it doesn't engage me. I just think it's boring. I don't wow. know why. That there makes me so sad because to me, I, this is one of those movies me that sad. makes it's me gorgeous. feel. It makes me feel like a kid you have when the, I'm watching no, it. Uh, what, uh, you have the moon guy on your wall right yeah. here yeah. while we're recording. Yeah, we have the, the George Malise yeah. moon with the rocket chip in its eye. Yeah. We have a 3D thing of it. Yeah. Um, and I just, I want to. Yeah. This was the second time, and I thought this is going to be like. The first time I thought it was boring, but I was like, I'm older now. It's not that long ago, but I was like, I'm older now, and I'm just, I'm fresh eyes, You're right? Ready. Yeah. Yeah. And I really thought that this would be, and I think I was enthusiastic too, coming off of After Hours, and being like, oh, After Hours unlocked itself for me, so Hugo's going to do the same thing. Damn it. <laughs> and it, it played exactly the same as it played the first time well, it played to me. Which that does just, make me sad. It's, it's just not my favorite. Yeah. And I know other people who feel the same way as you do. And I'm always like, I don't get it because I can't even see a crack in this thing for me. I'm just for me. I'm like, this is just kind of like the perfect children's film for adults is what this is. Yeah. You know, where I'm like, oh, I get it. I'm sucked into all of it. And as someone who just loves film, when it gets to sort of the reveal that this is a film about film and why, I just I just kind of start my eyes start tearing up. I'm just like, this is so beautiful. The idea that you could watch like this you could watch these films being made is so incredible and cool. I don't know. It all just moves me in exactly the it's, right way. It is beautiful and all the stuff that you said, and ex- except for the part where you love it and I don't. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, the Arrow version comes with, of course, the brand new 4K version uh, that has a, every version's got an audio commentary by John Spira. Uh, the disc two has you can watch either in 2D or if you have a 3D player, uh, 3D TV, you could play it that way. Um, disc three is all the bonus features. And there are many, many, many bonus features here. Some of which are taken from the previous, uh, decent enough, uh, official release of this. Others are new. Um, my favorite, of course, is the stuff that actually gets into George Malay's really gets into like his history, history in life. Cause I find him just a fascinating historical, uh, figure. I wish there was even more of that on here. Like, I mean, this feels like one you could have shoved a feature documentary 
about his life yeah. in here. Uh, but yeah, I highly recommend this one personally. It's got a mini poster, uh, an insert booklet. Uh, like I said, for me, this would have been the pick of the week, but we did have some other good titles this week. And uh, if I had to guess which one you're going to pick, it's probably Swamp Thing, although that's wrong. It should be. <laughs> it should be After Hours. It is After Hours. Is it? Okay. It is After Hours. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, after Hours, again, It I I felt like the veil lifted on this third watch. That's why, like, it's kind of funny because we do these shows and we commit to our opinions uh, as a historical record on audio, <laughs> you have some flexibility because you get to see them theatrically a lot of times before th- before you're doing them here. So if your opinion changes or you have a different thought about it, you can bring it up here. I'm kind of I kind of end up getting locked in amber on some of the stuff, and it's like I just want to remind the listeners sometimes that you should revisit movies that that you are fascinated by because they may one day all of a sudden. Uh, unlock for you. It's happened to me many um, times. And, and sadly, it happens the other way, too. Yeah. Where uh, you film you've always loved, you see it again, you go, wow, this is kind of juvenile and not very good. <laughs> I I tell you, the movie, it's I always forget that I don't really like it, is Popeye. Yeah. And I will you go back like and watch so bad. Popeye every couple years, and every couple years I'm like, oh, it's not very good, is it? And I'm like, wait, I should have remembered that from the last time I thought it wasn't very good. I get good. confused because I'll hear some of the songs from it and go, mm-hmm. oh, man, these songs are great. And then you watch the actual movie and you're like, this is a mess. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways. Uh. Yeah, After Hours. After Hours is mine. I think as far as the 4Ks go, it's not, it doesn't have the best picture. That goes to Hugo by a country mile. Yeah. So if what you're concerned with in your video library is stuff that will blow people's minds, Hugo. But if you're concerned with movies that you can watch and rewatch and rewatch, I think After Hours especially fits that bill because I think you will discover new things. You will have new favorite characters and lines every time you revisit it. Mm. Uh, so I think for longevity's sake, uh, and and again, it's a, it's a great release. Uh, mine is After Hours. Fair enough. After Hours it is, which would have been my second choice anyway. Cool. Uh, and my third would have been Deadstream for the record. Yeah. But anyway, yes, thank you, John, for joining me. Is there anything you need to promote this week? Uh, no. No? No. Okay. But soon. Uh, maybe. Okay. In tw- not now. Like, I won't have anything to... I'm not promoting anything till 2024. Okay. You know what? I'm I'm at Fallout Theater the first Tuesday of every month doing sketch comedy. If you show up on the first Tuesday of every month, there is a seventy percent chance I'll be in the show. Fair enough. Uh, so I'll promote that, and otherwise, <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Okay. Swamp Thing on 4K. That's that's all I got left to promote. Wait. Now we're talking about Swamp Thing on 4K? Oh, did you want to talk about Swamp Thing on 4K? We can. Oh, God. I'm just going to press stop now before this goes any further.